Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand, and this is where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. All right, good evening, everybody. Holy cow, we are in for a real treat tonight. The podcast I have been waiting for and dreaming of for a long time has just happened. We just finished it. There's a nice bottle of Kraken rum sitting here. It was a gift. Uh, ah, it just fantastic. I got to sit down with Larique, and Larique is a rigger, and he is the rigger who has helped me get Mighty Sparrow around the world without losing the mast. He's the best there is around up here in uh, coastal Maine, if I will say myself, so uh, I don't want to jump into it too, uh, too fast, but man, just really, this is great, and Hopefully there's a lot of usable information. This is what I would classify as one of the uh, Ask the Experts uh, podcast because we get into quite a bit about actual rigging and he's got a huge amount of uh, information. Obviously, he's been doing this for decades, uh, but we also talk about some other stuff as well and it's a, a lot of fun. We probably could have gone on and on for hours, but uh, it's been a long day in the rain out in the boatyard, and uh, he's also a busy man as well. So I just want to thank him once again for spending uh, an hour and a half with me. And uh, big thanks to everybody who is uh, still hanging in there, supporting the podcast. I know it's getting a little more sporadic, but got to get so much work done and work as well. And uh, it's been chaotic to say the least, as far as getting ready to go on this next voyage, which hopefully I'll be taking off next week. So um, more updates on that to come. But uh, again, like I always say, thank you for all the Patreon support. Uh, you guys are fantastic. It's absolutely amazing to have have that sort of uh, backing behind this podcast. And if anybody feels like becoming a patron, just uh, follow the link in the description. It'll take you to the Patreon page and uh, and you can support the podcast and the content uh, that I put up on YouTube. And other than that, if you want to reach out to the show, just head over to sailingintooblivion.com, click the podcast and uh, contact the show right there. And I always read those emails and try and get to them as quick as I can. So without further ado, my conversation with Larique, the professional rigger, it was awesome. Here we go. I'm just going to start recording, but <laughs> essentially, Lorique, you are uh, amongst a small group. I've had a few what I call Ask the Experts uh, sort of oh, podcasts. Oh, you're not going to lump me in with that. Oh, group. yeah. So you're you're in there with Pete Beal. Um, yes, please. Dobble me up a little bit there. Just tell me what you want. Pouring a little crack in rum. That is rum, right? Well, yeah. We should really be pouring some over the side. Yeah, I know, right? Well, I just washed right out today with all the rain. <laughs> Cheers, Lurik. Thank you Cheers. so much for coming in. Yeah. Ah, ooh, that's good. That smells good. Yeah. So, yeah, we've opened up a bottle of rum to start this. Uh, well, and, <laughs> you know, it's kind of a... Uh, because we uh, are sailing, right? We are. We're we're on a boat. We're on Mighty Sparrow. It's rainy. It, <laughs> it feels like I'm out in the North Atlantic already. Uh, but 
there's this uh, always this idea that when you do a podcast, you're drinking a bunch of beers and that never happens. The only I've only tried to do that once with my brother Sven, and it was miserable. It was like when I was listening to it later, I was like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. We're going off into the weeds every five minutes, but <laughs> okay, well, we'll try not to. Yeah. Oh no, we'll be good. We'll be good. Well, and and one of the things, like I said, um, yeah. So Pete Beal came in and talked about fiberglass. Murphy came in and talked about bottom painting. Um, gosh, who else did I have? Who was an expert? Dang it! Oh, they're gonna be mad at me if I can't remember. Did you have Mike Fowler? No, I haven't had Mike on. Um, but in any event, having you on a professional rigger. Is that really the, is that the term? Uh, uh, rigor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know about professional, but that's what I do. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like you're the guy to go to up here in, in the, in the area. I mean, whenever, whenever we're recommending people, whenever people ask, it's always, you got to call a reek. And I mean, proof's in the pudding. I've used your services for the force day, yeah. plenty of the other rigging and just always the advice as well. Yeah. How long have you been in the game? Uh, I've always been sailing, but rigging? Um, not that long compared to some. I'd say it's been about 30 years. <laughs> not that long, you know, <laughs> just three decades. Yeah, about 30 years. Experience. No, but, that, that, you know, I started late, so. Right. But, um... Yeah, I was working at a boatyard in Annapolis. As oh, really? A bottom paint and keel fairing guy. Yeah, yeah, cutting your working teeth. Working for my cousin who was building these carbon fiber go fast ultimate thirties. Oh, really? So this would have been back in the nineties. Back in the nineties, and uh, I had quit working in the music business. Was a whole nother tangent. Oh yeah, right. Um, Jeez. <laughs> There's a lot of layers to Larik and uh... some layers. Yeah, we're on Plan G. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I, I, you know, I'd see these guys walk into the boatyard wearing shorts and t-shirts, and they're clean. They're not covered in dust and bottom paint and Whoa, epoxy. There's nothing wrong with that. And and <laughs> I and do that every day. They're like clean <laughs> and they're smiling and they're happy and they're working. You know, and it's a nice sunny day and they're having a great time. And, Oh, riggers. Hmm. Maybe that's what I want to do. <laughs> Enough of this bottom painting. I want to be a rigger. Yeah, yeah. So right. um, that's where I got the idea for it. Really? Wanted so to get out of the dust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'll tell you, I've yeah. I've felt that uh, yeah. plenty of times. The the job that I always threaten to try to take here at Night Marine is the dockmaster position. <laughs> sit out there tell your sea stories you know fill up somebody's diesel tank yeah. every once in a while yeah. we'll, have no. to, we'll have to off one of those guys dale oh we're not getting rid of dale huh <laughs> dale's gonna die out there it's gonna he be, be great. lieutenant then <laughs> exactly <laughs> <can be> the <laughs> master. <laughs> oh man well no that it does make sense because yeah they're in a boatyard essentially you mm -hmm. do see so many you know from from the yard guys to the bottom painters to obviously the riggers, um, electricians, everything. They're all coming in. And now we've got, you know, the, the guys who cover the boats, do all the shrink wrap and everything. So there are. It's almost like a construction site where you have so many different little areas. But that that was it. It was like the clean, not covered in 
crud and not wearing a face mask and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's very cool. I know. So how? But what sort you, of steps do you do? Are you just an apprentice for somebody else to learn the ropes? Oh, no pun intended. It, oh boy, <laughs> that was a good one, deep, right? Deep. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kraken's um, already going to my brain. What can I say? No, it, yeah, it's it's uh, there's no apprenticeship. And you just dive right in. Yeah. And much as you have on your boat, that's how you start. And then you start looking at catalogs and looking at parts and looking at things and looking at what people have done and copying what they've done mm-hmm. and replacing what they've made or trying to make it better. Yeah. And you just learn as you go. Right. And it's, it's, it's real. There's really no school. Um, yeah, there, you don't you know, have like a little license or anything, do you? No, there's no, there's no uh, guild or you know anything like that. It's just seat of the pants a lot of it, and then it becomes eyeball engineering, and then it, then as you get deeper and deeper, peeling back the layers, you start learning um, what naval architects are doing, and you start learning really? some of that stuff. Um, yeah, but that's that's another layer to go towards. And then, you know, maybe you'd want to go work at a big spar building company, such as Offshore or um, Southern Spars. Southern Spars, Carbon yeah. rigs. And then you start to learn from those people all the grand secrets of the trade. Oh, man. Yeah. But, cause... but really, you need an engineering background to get into this, um, to to specify things, to... Uh, well, to, all the tolerances of yeah. how much somebody something can take, like you right. know, a, a boom or something like that. Yeah, and, I mean, I don't, I don't have a, a feel for any of that, but um, you know, I can eyeball it. Well, and you, yeah, <laughs> I mean, what you could you, eyeball engineering, right? Uh, and so that that essentially means, yeah. you know, when you look at your standard like Cape Dory or something like that, you look at the mast and you you sort of have a good idea of the size of the rigging that they're going to need if they want to replace everything mm-hmm. if things need to be changed up or anything like that yeah you you try to follow what the designer originally intended yeah and sometimes you have people say well i'm going to go around the horn i want everything bigger and and you can size it up but now you're changing the riding moments of the boat with extra weight a lot right right well so, and you know i people have talked to me about wanting to switch over if i've ever wanted to switch over to like soft rigging like dyneema and all that and i say well there's not not a whole lot of reason you know i'm not worried about weight aloft on on sparrow and you know i mean we can get we'll get into some specifics i think later you know this is the first podcast i've ever i actually have questions that i wrote out because (laughs) it it really not only i know my my listeners are are curious but uh yeah. I'm very curious about the knowledge that uh, is in that brain of yours. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's yeah, gone. Right. <laughs> no. how, how long have you? Uh, how long have you been in Rockland then? Uh, last twenty years. Oh, really? Okay. And what What brought you up here? Um, work at Lyman Morris in Thomaston. Oh, okay. A fellow named J.B. Turner, who now runs Front Street Shipyard, yeah, was running Lyman Morris at that time. Hey, do you and, want to just move that mic a little bit closer? Yeah, sure. Is that there? You go. There Perfect. Go. And nice. he um, was looking for another rigger in the shop. There were two riggers at the time. He probably thought he needed three or four. Oh yeah, um, you can never have enough. Really. And then it took me another six months after he 
asked me if I wanted to come. It took me about six months to get it together to move up here. Mm-hmm. By the time I got here, both riggers were gone. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> me in the shop. Okay, you're in charge. Okay, great. <laughs> um, and then uh, another guy wandered in the door, David Allen, who I've been working with for the past 20 year, 25 years. No, no, really longer. Um, let's see. Yeah, 20 years with David Allen. Oh, really? And it's a great relationship, very strong. And we're Is both, he still at? He's he's working with me now. Oh, oh, okay, okay. So, so is he your apprentice? No. Partner? He's an employee. He could be my boss. Oh, really? You know, wow. He's that good. Yeah. Uh, he's been doing it forever and ever since yeah. he was a kid. And um, so he's he's as knowledgeable or more knowledgeable than I am. And uh, yeah, he's he's quite a compliment. And and you should you should tap into him at some point because he's he's really an expert. I don't know. I you know that once once you get to know a guy like you, I don't want to stray. I don't want to stray. Dave is like an expert's expert. Oh right right right. Yeah yeah. Well, Um, luckily on on Sparrow, it's uh, it's such a basic sort of hardy sort of boat. I don't know. There's nothing fancy about it. It's it's such a, a bare bones sort of thing, right? I mean, don't you think? God, it's a machine. It's it's a machine for <laughs> it's sure. It's been around the world. Well, I mean, we we've upped the game on it yeah. as far as the yeah. rigging goes over yeah. the years. I mean, we I'm trying to think between you and Bill doing the stainless and increasing the size of all the um, the anchor points for the whisker stays and all that. And doing the the boomkin extra stainless, and then we up the size of the the whisker stays to the boomkin, right? And then we up the size, I think, of the staysail stay, mm-hmm. and then replace the four stay. I've replaced. We did the double back stay. I mean, geez, I feel like this boat is. Would you? And this is a perfect question for you. Do you think this boat is over rigged? Or no. just right? No, I think she's just right for what you've intended to do. and For what doing. I'm doing. But for, for just, you know, if you were just going to use a West Sail for you Co- know, maybe crossing the Atlantic, would you say it's a little overbuilt? I'm fishing. I don't know. You know Mother, Mother Nature can really dish it out in weird ways and in weird places. Oh, yeah. That you don't yeah. expect. And That is for sure. Um, the weight of water is something to consider. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think you're just fine for doing transatlantic or anything you want to dish out. Going around the horn, that's Yeah, that's quite another thing. There's very little that can stand up to that. Well, and what would you Well, and that, I mean, you could have the strongest rig on the planet and you can be down there and it'll dish it out where no no boat can handle it. Right. So you're always I've always told people there there is a bit of a gamble, a bit of a uh roll of the dice if you will. Whenever you go to places like that, but even even our coastal shores here, I mean, you get down towards George's Bank and off Cape Cod, some of the worst storms in the world are right there. Yeah. You know, you've got yeah. the Labrador, you've got the uh, Gulf Stream, and then you've got all these systems coming off Canada. I mean, the perfect storm was out there and, you know, back in the 90s, so. Yeah, it- that's that's why I don't think you're over rigged. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I. I but I if you were if that. you were coastal sailing, yeah, you'd be over. Then I'd be over it. Okay, mm-hmm. now see that gives me yeah. extra confidence just to have you say that. So <laughs> so that's always good. And 
like is you know uh throughout the years i we've built up kind of a uh a nice stack of of extra fittings and i have extra wire and extra everything so that you know as long as the mask doesn't fall down knock on wood i can replace a lot of stuff on the go out there which is also pretty nice yeah and having all this extra dyneema and extra fittings it makes you very flexible yeah yeah exactly and you know i i always considered the dyneema as uh a very quick way to, you know, just throw some line up there that's that strong and lash it down to just make sure that mask stays up mm-hmm. until I can actually replace it with, you yeah. know, a proper wire and everything. But, yeah, I, I, I think the wire has a, a better longevity. The Dyneema is as strong as the wire. But as far as, like, chafe and UV damage... Dyneema doesn't hold a candle to stainless, so. Well, and that's, yeah. I mean, yeah. when when people ask me about about why I wouldn't want to switch over, that's pretty much what I tell them mm-hmm. is that I'm pretty sure stainless wire is going to last longer in the long run. And I don't know. It just, I know that the, the what is it called? The tinsel strength of, like, line or wire, those two are the same. Like, Dyneema, what's, what's the difference between Dyneema and Spectra? Same thing. It's just a different product name now. It, we originally were calling it Spectra, uh-huh. and then the name changed somewhere. I don't know where to Dyneema became the new trade name. Oh. Probably there may have been some kind of like uh, infringement on <laughs> royalties or oh, you know right, something, right. some intellectual property of some kind. Who knows? But um, it did change, and it's never been told to me why. Well, you know, but, I, I had heard a long time ago that um, it had something to do with somebody was saying I had I had like a chunk of spectra as a lifeline or something at one time, like a secondary. And somebody was like, oh, the UV is going to eat that alive. You got to use Dyneema. Well, maybe Dyneema is a has like a UV means it's been coated with UV or something. But spectra came with coating as well in the beginning. Oh, really? If it was just naked without any kind of paint on it it would it would degrade rapidly but um no it's you know (laughs) where we started at what dyneema sk 75 and now we're up to like sk 99 oh right they're always refining only the superstars can afford that you know oh i'm sure what (laughs) what sort of prices is that uh per foot i don't have any idea no idea (laughs) we don't buy it because you know it's only the race boats that'll buy that yeah 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 and um maine is not big into racing so no there's a lot of rocks out there and the winds are (laughs) typically pretty fickle up here i mean they they do the they do this besides the schooner race there is like an old classic boat race up in camden right egamagan reach regatta yep that's the one and the camden classics and um there's the round the rocks there's a retired skipper's race up in camden castine yeah um, there's Gamora, which is a, a main racing association. They're more based down in Portland area. But um, it's not like the guys come up from Newport to do the circuit up here. Uh, some of the classic racing. Yeah. Oh, the classic stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Not the, not the hot rod stuff. No, they're, everybody's tending towards Newport to do yeah. that. Oh, heck right? yeah. yeah. And they have been forever. You yeah. Know? I mean, yeah. So, yeah. 
Okay, oh the elderly man. Well, you know, my my older brother Sven, he worked uh, on Oracle, BMW Oracle, the America's Cup, the Trimaran with Larry Ellison and stuff. He's on that team. Wow! Oh my gosh, that's, some of the stories that he has from that—that's I mean, big. <laughs> that's and, huge. And just and yeah. he, one of the things that he always liked about that was that it was in a lot of ways a throwback to the old school America's Cup where it was. We're going to throw way more money at this, and we're going to build something so outrageous that there's just no way we're not going to dominate. And that's what Larry Ellison did, essentially. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how much money. I don't know if anybody has like a figure of how much that that whole thing costs, that whole campaign. But, you know, I, I would assume it's up there with, you know, Sir Thomas Lipton or whatever it is, the guy oh, who built the. Yeah, it would be the equivalent. It'd be insane. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. We're going to. Keep that trophy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And he's he's um, he Sven hangs out and has a lot of uh, friends that are still in the America's Cup stuff. So he's he's always a, a wealth of knowledge when it comes to comes to that. Because I I don't know. I mean I for my money I would rather go on YouTube and watch uh, the the old 1980s and 1990s reruns of the 12 meters and you know Fremantle and all that sort of stuff. Those were really exciting races, you know, when they're tearing yeah. sails and peeling jibs and well, up and down in the waves. You should be in the Golden Globe race right now. Uh, I well the the only thing is, you know, they they to be right up your alley. I perfect it, for you. If there was if there was like a call to arms to where somebody said, "Hey, you know what? Anybody feels like racing around in the traditional sense of, you know, round the world, meet in Newport, you know, October or whatever, and we're all just going to go. And there's no rules, there's no race committee. You just got to get there, go around the capes and then get back. <laughs> that might be kind of cool. Uh, because one, there's no entrance fee to it. There's no, <laughs> exactly. you know, these, these guys have to go and, uh, I think you have to have more. a little bit more. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah, Not yeah. too much though. Cause this okay. is a serious podcast. Oh. oh boy. All right. I got some serious <laughs> questions here. Cheers again though. Cheers, I cheers. do appreciate it. Uh, but no, it, it's, uh, I, I've, uh, emailed a couple of times back and forth with, uh, Don McIntyre, who's the founder of the race. Australian guy. Um, and it is, he, he was always like, Hey, I don't know if you're doing anything in 2022, but, uh, we're going to run the race again. And I don't know. I, I feel like if I, if I wanted to do it, I'd be able to get one of the spots in it. But right now I don't, I don't know. I, I think the complete, like just doing the adventure and doing that race circuit, um, and doing it sort of completely solo, you know, not that, Obviously, there's there's 13 competitors out there right now, and they're all alone pretty much, but they're also in a group. Um, but they have that, having the race committee looking over you and having to go into those checkpoints and things like that. I don't know. For me, it sort of, it, it loses a little bit of its luster, so to it's speak. It's no longer solo. Well, yeah, I, I, you're not truly solo, not truly. And I, I think yeah. that I, I, and I, I really don't want to downgrade what these people are trying to do because just to make it around that course is insane. I mean, 
take it from me. It's and, and racing twenty four and racing, yeah, <laughs> pushing your boat. And somebody had said that to me. They were like, "Yeah, could you imagine? You know, when when you were doing it, you could sort of just cruise." And I had to be like, "Well, not exactly, because." Even if you're just doing it yourself, you're racing the seasons because you need to get around Cape Horn before it gets too much into fall and those storms just are really bad. But at the same time, even these racers, because they're using these older boats and they're going to be out there for so long. I mean, what, when they go and do the Volvo or when they do a, you know, a record breaker sort of run, they're only out there for two and a half, three months. Uh, when the guy set the record, 42 days solo around the world when I was out there. So, uh, you know, they're, they're ripping around so they can afford to push those boats. But even these guys, they'll be out there for 180, 200 days, something like that. Wow. So they can't, they have to, you have to balance between breaking your boat to pieces because boats under that sort of pressure for, six to nine months is a whole different thing compared to, you know, some Vendee Globe boat or a Volvo boat or something like that. They can really push it and then they pull in somewhere and then everything gets fixed. I mean, you imagine what goes on back in the day when they did the Volvo, they'd stop in like Cape Town. Imagine what sort of complete refits were happening to those boats. And then oh, they yeah. do it again and again and again. Yeah. It's touring the boatyards of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Maybe the tech boat chases you around. Mm. <laughs> Support. Almost. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Gosh, we, we kind of went off in the weeds. Uh, That's all right. We were talking about um, Dyneema and Spectra. Yeah. But we're in Dyneema now. We don't talk yeah, about Spectra. Yeah. Spectra's anymore. just, it's just gone. Yeah. It's no longer a term we use. Ah, it's been phased out. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what... there, were, there were all the Aramid fibers that came before, and the blends, the Technoras, and the yeah, 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 you know, the Olefins, and the yeah, just, it was all weird, 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 weird stuff that was all competing to see what would what would work best. And now it's it just seems like Dyneema, and then the really exotic like PBO. Um, which is a very strange fiber, super oh, really? super strong. Um, as long as it's in line in a in a line, it's fine. But if you put a little tiny overhand knot in it and then you pull it, it just snaps. Oh really? Oh, it's <laughs> almost like but carbon PBO fiber is, stuff. But PBO where... is yeah, they use it for for head stays or shrouds. It, it really very expensive. Yeah. Um, only you know astronauts use that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you wouldn't need it, but um. Now, I I would think Dyneema would be inappropriate for a you know a long heavy duty cruise like you take. Yeah, yeah. Around the world, I yeah you could do it. They say there's a an outfit on the West Coast called Coligo Marine, and they're constantly pushing the product. And we've outfitted all these cruising boats with all this Dyneema, and it's great. But it, it's got a five to six year lifespan in the sun mm. and you're constantly monitoring chafe at any point oh yeah where it contacts anything so i, th- I think it's it's super high maintenance and you're going to be replacing it much more frequently right right well i i do remember when i put the the dyneema lifelines that you got me on uh the first night i was on the dock and it was blowing out of the east and the waves picked up 
and there was like one or two spots where it was rubbing up against uh, near the turnbuckles. And by morning, there was a little bit of chafe. And I was like, I haven't even left yet. Yeah. yeah. Dang it. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. all I did, I, I used um, one of my, my favorite things is Gorilla Tape for mm. chafe, whether it's on the sails. Because that stuff just sticks and it just yeah. doesn't come off. Um, <laughs> but I'll wrap uh, the lifelines with it in little areas where... Like the biggest, the biggest area is um, uh, the spinnaker pole. When I'm doing a lot of downwind sailing, I pull out the staysail and stuff, but I, I'll keep it mounted on the mast. But the beak is hooked right to one of the lifelines. As long as I have a couple layers of Gorilla Tape on there, it'll last for months. No worries. And yeah. it's you know there's a little bit of movement and yeah, everything. Yeah. But hmm. well, um, with with like the halyards, the more traditional stuff. Um, cause I, I do have a lot of my listeners have old boats and stuff like, like, like mighty sparrow. Um, and obviously I don't have like crazy Dyneema halyards and all that, everything. I just have the traditional nylon, you know, stay set. Yeah, polyester double braid. Yeah. Which is yeah. what you have. And, and that, that's really good. It stretches a little tiny bit, but you can go and crank up the winch a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Not on the race course where... Tenths of a second are so crucial, and you have to have avoid all stretch altogether. Well, and what what type of line if you're if you're more into sort of that racing stuff, but you also don't want to, you know, park your entire wallet in the rope store. Yeah. What uh, what material? Because I the die or the uh, stay set that's all nylon. Stay set is yeah, it's the polyester. Oh, it's um, polyester. Polyester, okay. and it's double braid, and it's it's the core and the cover are the same material. Yeah. And the the core and the cover work together to carry the load. Oh, Whereas they do. If you went yeah. with a Dyneema cord line that has a polyester cover, that all the strength is in the core, and the the polyester cover is there as a UV protector, just UV, right? Chafe protector, just keeps it going. Um, <coughs> and it's a different splice for right, that right. type of line. So it's it's called a core to core dependent splice. Oh, okay. Whereas the polyester double braid is not core to core. It's a uh it's kind of like Chinese finger torture. It just wraps back back on itself. Oh, okay. okay. Um uh, but yeah, I mean if you know if we're gonna if you really want to get a little bit more bulletproof with your halyards, you might consider jib and main being a Dyneema cord line. Oh, okay. A Dyneema cord so that you mm -hmm. still have the outer casing yep. and that makes it just so you don't have to replace it. And... Protects it. Right, right. Yeah. It oh, lasts okay, that okay. much longer. So really there is. Yeah, it's basically just your polyester standard mm -hmm. rope or yeah. uh, jump right over to Dyneema. And there, more are, there are more economical line selections. You can get into um, blended core mm -hmm. that are polyester and Dyneema core. And there are there are other combinations, but that that's a very common common one, and it's kind of like you're the racer cruiser, and you know, yeah, like little, check I that a little out. More. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I I really think you just got to go Dyneema core. Don't even mess well, with it, that. One of the problems um, that I always run into anytime I'm like shopping for a bit of line, geez, you go online or even you know even at Hamilton's here, but there's yeah. there's like sixty different types. Oh. And if you're online, there's like yeah. 300, and you're sitting there going, ah, uh, like, 
it's it makes it I think more confusing. Um, it's very confusing. But just regular triple braided um, stay set. Yeah. Standard. That's usually I mean that's that's what I use for almost everything I have on this. Yeah, boat. it's pretty standard and it's it's economical and it does last a long time. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I actually just replaced. Uh, um, the topping lift, which I spliced a little thimble um, up top. And when I pulled the old one off, and it has been up there since 2015, I think. And what late, was it made of? Uh, just the stay set. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, quarter inch or whatever. Mm-hmm. Standard. I mean, it was like it wouldn't bend. It was so, <laughs> it had just been pulled so tight. But yeah. the... The splice held really well. Um, there was a little bit of chafe around the thimble because it sort of had rubbed against the backstay a little. But, I mean, we're talking seven years it's been up there aloft. And I am I kept it because I figure I'm, I might use it as like a spare line because it's 50 feet long or whatever. But <laughs> No, oh, just for, Excess you weight. Know, yeah, no, knows, no, no, no. <laughs> well, I've always, I've always had sort of this idea that... Uh, Maybe sometime long in the future, some of this stuff that's on this boat that's done all these things and been around the world, maybe people would want to buy it. You know how they yeah. do like yeah. the um, uh, they'll make things, purses and, mm-hmm. and stuff out Handbags. of the sails. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you know, you make a bunch of bracelets out of the line oh, that has been you know. around the world. Yeah, I, so many cyclones. I yeah. had this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I had this one scheme sort of in my head. Uh, that I thought about when I'd already, you know, made it back to the Atlantic, but I was like, man, I should have gone and filled up a five gallon jug with water from Cape Horn <laughs> and like made a video of it or whatever. And then I could have gotten back and dulled out little half ounce bottles, you know, yeah. Cape Horn from Mighty Sparrow, uh, April 7th, 2017 or whatever. Very good. <sighs> but. And and I remember when I was thinking about because I was still on the boat and uh, I had a lot of time on my hands, so I calculated out. I was like, okay, well, if I do half ounce bottles and I fill up a five gallon jug, if I charge, <laughs> and I was like, oh man, it could have been like ten thousand dollars. <laughs> Things you think of. That's when a you're... lot of rope. Uh, yeah, right. Oh well, man. Yeah. Okay. So back to your top, your boom topping. I I would replace that boom topping with three sixteenths. Dyneema. Ah, geez. Well, I thought about I thought about doing that um, because I do have a decent amount of the Dyneema left that I mm-hmm. haven't used yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It 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 worked out okay, um, and it lasted. It proved itself. So I was just like, you know what? Don't mess with it. If it's if it's not broken, don't fix it. And so I just remade it with some new stuff. Even and was able and it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I use the same stuff. I mean, I. Uh, the one thing I was thinking, I was like, man, you know, I would like to, to downsize it because sometimes I, I now use a bungee to take up the slack on it mm-hmm. because before it was just free and it would swing around and slap, Whoa. swing around and slap. And sometimes if the, if the sail was just at the right angle, it could come around just perfectly and then wrap around the steaming light. Oh, can and- you... Control it, collapse it out of the way when you don't want to use it? Eh, no, I just have it basically, it's tagged it's right to the rigged. end of the boom. Yeah, but now, like I said, I mean, I've I've grown wiser in my years. And uh, 
I attach some bungee so that to boom, take it, it, out. it takes up all the slack and now it doesn't slap and all this stuff. But no, I that, can't, that would be your big enemy is having that slapping on the main oh, and causing chafe. Well, that's your, I, yeah, that's yeah. your biggest concern at sea is chafe. Well, chafe. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly chasing it. Luckily over the years, I think I found most of the areas, um, mm-hmm. and, I can sort of know, okay, well, I know I need to build this up. I need to keep my eye on that. But I've been able to sort of change and adapt the way Sparrow's set up mm-hmm. so that there is very little. I mean, when I was on that second trip um, that was supposed to go to the Northwest Passage, you know, coming around, I was out there for 88 days. And I can remember sailing back and just being almost bored, like looking for something to break. Or at least where, like, I, I felt like the boat was so dialed in, I could have just, like, gone and, and been somewhere else for weeks, and the boat would just still be perfectly fine. <laughs> now now that it's a little more aged, um, and all the sails and everything has so much more wear and tear, not so much. Like, I'm, I'm constantly, I got the sewing machine right here, <laughs> and uh, it has to be out and ready to use and all that sort of stuff. So, but. question for you. If you were going to do the Northwest Passage, which mm-hmm. way would you go? West to east or east to west? Uh, I would want to go east to west um, only because I'm sure if I was going to venture up through that, I would want to do the Americas at minimum. So that, that means going down to Cape Horn and I, you know, anytime, I don't know what I was thinking, wanting to try and go around it the wrong way, even though I still every once in a while think about trying to do that trip. (laughs) Uh, but I, I think that would be such a, an amazing trip that, you know, Matt Rutherford was the pioneer for that and goes up through the Northwest passage down around Cape Horn. I mean, it's 24,000 miles or something like that. It's almost like going around the world. And, you know, I think it's pretty cool. Um, but that that's the direction I would want to go. But it's it's tough. Um, you have all those different obstacles between the first thing is is the Grand Banks. And then you get past that and then it's Iceberg Alley. And then it's just the whole Labrador where the weather can get really ugly really fast. And then you just get into the ice pretty much straight away. Yeah. And I just had a boat. 47 footer do the Northwest Passage this last summer. This last summer. And they got stuck in the ice for 10 days and almost really? didn't make it out. Wow. And then I was reading some other accounts of people who do it west to east. Mm-hmm. And they get to the, um, they get through the ice at a better time, a little earlier when the pack ice can't form and they can squeak out through the east side. Oh. And they fare better. Rather than getting trapped in, well, yeah, because thick of ice, and it well, it's it's <laughs> always. Um, then how do you get out of there if you're? Sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's helicopter. Yeah. Well, because that you know, right now one one of the things that was told to me was that with with sort of the warming temperatures and stuff over the last bunch of decades, one of the things that happens. It's not that there's less ice up there. It's that the ice that's breaking free is, you know, hundreds of years old or whatever. And when it breaks free, it, it'll it break a huge chunk off. And now that new chunk that wasn't there for the last, like, two, three years that stayed affixed has now clogged up the whole thing. Ooh. 
And if you're once you get sort of out of the passage and you're you're north of Alaska, you're in a pretty vulnerable position because if you have a big enough shelf break off, and again, this is all just from what I understand, um, it's a pinch point. If if the winds blow out of the north, and you're in a boat, like that could be it. Like that yeah. that ice is just going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing until you're either on the shoreline or you get crunched. Yeah. It's a really scary place. The whole idea of that is, um, I don't know. I, I must have been pretty brave back then. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of like, wow. I, you know, yeah. I don't even know if I would consider doing the Northwest Pats. I mean, obviously, I it put me off quite a bit having to deal with a country that that feels I, like they own the water. I hear it's pretty hard. I hear it's as hard or harder than Everest. So oh, you yeah. might want to reconsider. Yeah, I know. Well, and I, I don't. I don't have any any want. Um, yeah. You know, I I'm lucky in that. In my mind, I for uh, just about a month was headed up there, and my intentions were clear, and I had prepared the boat and was ready for it. Uh, and then things out of my control changed my plan. But for those 30 days, and I guess the two months before that, I felt like I was an Arctic adventurer, like ready to do the Northwest Passage. And I think there is something to be said about, you know, if you're if you're 100% ready and you, you actually take the first steps and, and actually start the voyage, then in some way, it's almost like I almost did it. <laughs> Not quite, but... Is, that, is, it, is the Northwest Passage the new horn? No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, the, but I I don't know. You know what? I'm going to say, I don't know because I've never been up there. I mean, I know, I know what it felt like to be heading up there. I think I got to just about 60 degrees North. Um, it's just miserable though. It's foggy. So you can't see anything for days. And there's wind and there's growlers coming Uh down on you. In the fog at night, yeah, and it's blowing stink, and and you know it's only dark. The I think once I got as far north as I went, it was getting dark around eleven o'clock at night, and it was light by about two thirty or three in the morning, something like that. Wow. Yeah, there was not not a lot, but it didn't matter because it would be light, but it you could only see fifty feet, Mm -hmm. and week after week of that. Oh, it, it does my head in, you know, the Southern ocean. I I went a couple of weeks where I was in, we had a northerly for, I think 10 days and it was foggy almost the whole time. And it, it just, it wears on me to, to just not be able to see anything. And it's not so much the sun. I think for me, honestly, it's like the stars and the moon and everything. Mm -hmm. I, I, that's one of my favorite parts about being offshore is, is my entertainment is that sky at night because it fascinates me. It always has nighttime sailing is amazing. It is, isn't it's just incredible. And what would you choose if you, and I, I've always, I don't, I, I go back and forth. I guess it depends on where I am in the world, but the complete blacked out, no moon, full star night compared to full moon sailing. Wow. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. They both have, I Tough think one. that one, you can only yeah. do pros and cons yeah, of, of yeah, either one, yeah. but yeah. there's something about, and, and 
you know, being down in that Southern Hemisphere and seeing completely different stars was so cool. Oh, man. Southern Cross and all that. Yep. But. Yep. Hmm. Nighttime. Nighttime on the water is. It's neat. It's There's something about it. Very mysterious. Your brain waves can really spread out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, I, you know, I mean, when I'm on land, I still enjoy a lot of stargazing and, and just being out, you know, mm-hmm. instead of looking at a TV screen or whatever, being outside and just just looking up at those stars. It's like I could never yeah. get enough of it. But compared to how much I do it on uh, on a boat out at sea, I mean, that that's hours and hours every single night. You're never more connected oh. to the earth. And watching the planets, you know, that mm-hmm. people ask what what sort of one of my favorite things about uh, aspects about being out there for that long, tracking the the movement of the planets and the moon for nine months out at sea, because I left uh, the day before a full moon and I got back, I think the day after a full moon. So I actually get to see 10 full moons out there in nine months. Unbelievable. I mean, just being able to see it and sort of monitor it. Uh, one of the cool things for me was that I really started to understand why I'm seeing it do these things and the overall motion. So, you know, we're, we're grounded when, when you look at a compass, you can be like, okay, well, you know, north is that way and south is that way. And you got kind of ground yourself here. Well, then if you're if you're monitoring all that stuff going on up there, you start thinking like, well, so the center of the galaxy is there. So <laughs> up is actually this way and down is that way. And it's I don't know. It's kind of cool. It's like our solar system is there. Were you were you doing celestial nav when you did it? Did you did you use a sextant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. a little. Not I. I well, I shouldn't say a little. Uh, in the North and South Atlantic, yeah. going out it, and then coming like back, taking a noon sight. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I do sort of a cheater's version or an easier version for the longitude, mm-hmm. where you can actually you can take a uh, a sight an hour before predicted noon. And then you do your latitude, which is kind of the easy one at noon. Then you do another one an hour after. And then you can interpolate really quick. And it, you know, it's it's um, way less precise than, you know, the traditional longitude shot, which takes, you know, a whole lot more timing and a, a, just a huge amount of calculations. This is pretty easy stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But... If you get really good at it, it's it's not too bad. And I don't know. I, I always have fun doing that. Um, one of the tough parts for me was that the sextant was given to me by a good friend of mine, Phil, um, who I met down in the Caribbean. You mentioned that in the book. Yeah. And he he just he was like, hey, I want to send you this thing because it's it's a really great site. And it's I don't know how old it is, like 60 years old. Uh, it was it was built in Tokyo. And I'll I'll show it to you after this, but precision. Oh, <laughs> and I well, but it's one of those things. Where it's it's so nice that if it's even a little bit crummy out, I'm like, nah, I don't want to take it out. But I did get eventually. I got one of those plastic ones. Mm. Um, so if it is crummy and I still need to get up there and do it, I use that one now. But I don't know. It's it's just a hobby. Obviously, I do think it's worth always sort of sharpening your skills with that sort of stuff because you could have complete failure of 
of you know your electrical system and yeah i don't have five gps's backing me up like on a standard boat you know no <laughs> standard no. boat oh yeah most boat well most boats have <laughs> one you know i would say most one. boats probably have between their phones the actual mounted electronics because yeah. you got let's say you got ais You've probably got a VHF that might have a built-in GPS in it. Then you have your GPS. Then you've got probably one or two handheld ones. And, you know, so that it does add up. I guess you can, you're right. You can get that yeah. old, uh, that Latin long off of a screen somewhere. But <laughs> I don't know. It, it is, I, I like the fact that with one book as and a sextant. As long as you're in range of a cell phone tower. <laughs> <laughs> now you have this iridium thing and where, where I, do you uh, mount does that have an antenna are you going to mount that somewhere? uh i have no idea it's a, it's a whole new world to me i yeah. i sort of pushed it off a little bit um just from the expense and everything for years mm-hmm. and because i i really enjoy the i really enjoy like not having too much connection with the world back on land if that makes sense yeah you know if, yeah. if i had my way uh, I wouldn't have to do daily updates for people, i.e. my wonderful, loving mother, <laughs> who I would do anything for, and I always do anyway. Uh, but I would, I've always wanted to see what it would be like to, uh, you know, head out without any ability to make a connection Yeah, and just see what that's like. To, I, that, this, this brings up a, a, an important rigging point of view um do you mount all your hardware on the mast should you lose that mast what do you have to back yourself up let's say you know vhf ais iridium Ah, all that stuff you know are you gonna you're gonna think about backup well to that you know thankfully uh i have thought about that quite a bit (laughs) yeah no i i have so right now on the mast the only aerial that I have is my VHF, mm-hmm. and I have a spare VHF aerial that's also a combination GPS aerial for the AIS, mm-hmm. um, and that's actually underneath my seat. So okay, so you do have a, a I do have that, yeah, because yeah. the AIS uh, GPS aerial for what I have now is actually mounted mm-hmm. back here. Mm-hmm. So the only thing on the mast is the the proper VHF aerial. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, but it's a really good point because you do, that was one of the reasons I wanted a deck stepped mast was my thinking behind that was I will be in parts of the world where rolling the boat over is definitely a possibility. And typically that's when you're going to lose a mast if you're going to lose one. Correct. If if you've read Miles Smeaton. Oh my gosh. His wife's account. I've seen it happen twice and et cetera. Yeah. Right. Really. You really do want to think about that. Yeah. Um, and, and that's brilliant. And I see this behind you. There's this giant ring frame, and it's very sturdy where the mast is stepped on deck. And there's really no chance this boat's going to get mashed. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's <laughs> the that. thing. You know, I yeah. even what you mentioned Miles and uh, Miles Smeaton and what was his, and Beryl, his white Beryl. Beryl. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they. They wrote a great book, uh, Once is Enough, and they're they're headed around. They sail from New Zealand to, they want to go around Cape Horn. They're in a 40-something foot 
kind of an older boat. This took place in the 50s or mm-hmm. 60s? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, 50s, early 60s, yeah. They get, a, a rogue comes in, they pitch poles them, and uh, they get rolled, and they lose the mast, but the mast is keel-stepped, and it rips a big, huge, gaping hole in the deck of this boat, and they have to sort of makeshift fix that. They do it. They get to, I think, Valparaiso or something in Chile, and then they go to do it again, and the same thing happens. And then, then the second time, when they when you get pitch pulled, that's your end for end. Yeah, <laughs> it's not just laid on your side. That's all oh, the way over. God. Well, and back I, end goes over the front. Yeah, and though that when that happens, I mean, there's, I I just can't even imagine there would be anything left uh, on the boat. I feel like everything would just get stripped right off of it. Well, there's going to be something hanging on, and that's when you've got to be really quick thinking. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and that, now, that brings up a question for you, fine sir. Right. If I want to get these wires off of my boat, like, obviously you think of the worst case scenario is your, your mangled mast is in pieces, and it's you're in some ugly seas, and it's bashing up against the hull, and you need to get rid of it ASAP. Fastest way is either a mini grinder with battery-operated mini grinder, but uh-huh. how are you going to keep that charged out there at sea? Salt water it might splashing get, all it over It might you. die on you. Hydraulic cutter. Oh, my gosh. They're expensive. Here I am thinking I got it but all. Hydraulic cutter is the way to do it and it's, it's small it's compact it's you pump it up the jaws close and they will cut through that wire as quick as you can pump and that would be the fastest what about most reliable but they are expensive they're you know they're up in the five six seven hundred dollar range oh okay wow, wow wow so um but for a life-saving tool fantastic well exactly you can't put a price on that right yeah and but you do have to keep it from getting mm. wet, yeah, and rusting out, so that's, well, that's a difficult task offshore. So I, I have not obviously I don't have that tool. I yeah. do have a very large set of bolt cutters with Which the, that won't I won't really cut through one by nineteen wire. In really, yeah, you, you don't can think? try it. It'll cut through chain like butter. It makes butter. me want to go and, and try but, it on some of the spare line that I yeah, have. Yeah, I mean, think about that. You've got to get rid of this rig within. 10 minutes. Yeah. Or it's going to hold the hull and sink you. Uh Uh-huh. So your best friend is either a pair of dykes, the alternative lifestyle pliers, (laughs) or (laughs) and and undoing cotter pins, and hopefully they're not so loaded up with the weight of the mass that you can't pull the pin, which may be trapped. Right, right, exactly. So really, really you have to cut. You have to cut to get rid of the rig. But... You know, ideally, you you like maybe hang on to a little bit of the rig so you have some sort of a post or a stump yeah, or something yeah, yeah. to make a jury ideally, rig. Well, and that's where I I'd always thought because you, you would probably have a couple halyards that have been pulled through or whatever, but they're still right. attached somewhere. You know, ideally, maybe you that, can get that another rig, line on there. Maybe that rig acts as a sea anchor, but. What if you collide with it? You know exactly. All you those sort of things. Position so, and just right. Yeah, you've you've got to have. There's a lot of what ifs in there. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. For sure, just, but ideally, yeah, you would you would be able to ride out whatever weather conditions you're in, mm-hmm. and then retrieve as much of that material as possible. Yeah, yeah, and 
but no bulk. Any conditions that I've been living dismantle. a lie. Yeah, but but any conditions that that would cause that kind of catastrophic failure would be continuing for hours and hours. Well, maybe, but right? you know, it might also just be some stupid little thing let go. Yeah, yeah, could be because a... the rigger you hired wasn't Larik, <laughs> and hey. He forgot to put in the split pins. <laughs> or not not split, the cotter pins. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, hydraulic cutters. Hydraulic cutters. All right. Well, there you go. From the pro. That or and another tool in the inventory, which you probably should have, is a mini grinder with a cutoff wheel. Oh, and it's battery powered. Well, actually, so that's not it. that expensive. No. You can get a DeWalt are, those one. Are cheap. Yeah. Yeah. They're cheap. And the cutoff wheels are really cheap. And they're very quick. I've I have a cutoff wheel and a grinder, but it's a plug-in one. Yeah. And I don't know if I want to be out there running extension cords while it's hell on earth. Yeah. Do you have an inverter on board? Oh yeah. Yeah. So you can run. I got like two backup inverters. Wow. I don't mess around. This boat is not. Yeah. Okay. You gotta have. So now we're talking. Okay. So now the the ultimate disaster has happened. You've been dismasted, and now you're trying to rig up some kind of a. Pole oh that my you can God. hang scraps of sail from. Yeah. To get you home. Well, I have on this boat, for example, I've got the spinnaker pole, right? Absolutely. So I'd probably be using that. Hopefully, my boom would still be on here. The boom would be even better because it's like 16 feet long. Yeah. And it has a little track in it. Right. Um, that would be ideal. That I have, I mean, awesome. you know, obviously, when you spend as much time out at sea as I have, I've planned. I've thought about, you know, if the mast ideally broke off just above the spreaders, like Bill's mast did, uh, then I'd have a sizable stump. I'm rigging up, you know, a nice catch. I'll I'll sew some new sails. I'll I'll <laughs> sail in, you know, healed over, loving it with this new experimental design. But I mean, in reality, you know, that's what you end up doing as long as you have the the some of the wires and most importantly the spars yeah and you're you're carrying a certain length of dyneema on board that you can make to the length you need Mm -hmm. maybe you can save some turnbuckles to help you tension things up oh yeah got plenty spares of those for sure but yeah it's a a split between how much weight do you carry excess excess parts well i've always said you know the only way to be 100 percent safe is to tow the exact replica of your boat behind you so you can just cannibalize all you you need to but there you go oh my gosh lurik we are we're almost at an hour already oh my god and i have questions okay i go go i have to get to go for your list yeah, you're you're being so generous you, with you your need time. to guide you need to guide this a little bit. All right, because you know <clears> what the <throat> previous conversations were. <laughs> <laughs> well, I and this is this is so fun. I mean, I I ah, this is so great. Okay, uh, standard sort of ballpark figure. When is it time, whether it be miles or whether it be uh, like years, to replace your standing rigging? What's the rule of thumb? There? Okay. Riggers are kind of like pirates, right? We, yeah. We love to sell every rope, year. And we love to sell wire. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, this is this is the conversation I have almost daily. How do I know when I need to replace it? Mm-hmm. Um in northern latitudes, the rule of thumb is 10 years on standing rigging. 
And that is because of cycles of fatigue and usage and, and stuff like that. In southern latitudes, the number drops because of heat and salinity on the swedge fittings. So they say six years down in the Caribbean, south, and whatnot. But mm. <laughs> you see lots of good frugal mainers stretching that out to 15 and 20 years. Yeah. That's a bit long, you know, but they're not really going out beyond Monhegan, so you kind of let them. Right. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're really thinking offshore and uh, heavy duty, ten years mileage, uh, a trip around the world is a quite a few cycles of fatigue. Quite a few. <laughs> quite a few. And I'm how, still using the same e- lowers. Even sitting at the mooring is cycles of fatigue. Yeah, because that those just little, that mass rocking a little. Those little oscillations. Pressure on pressure. They add up. Think of it as. Uh, Take an aluminum beer can and bend it back and forth, back and forth, as you did when you were a kid. Like, yeah. how many times can you go before it, the metal tears? Right. And stainless steel is very much like that. It's very brittle. And how many times can you bend it before it finally snaps? Mm-hmm. Um, galvanized stainless or galvanized wire is a little more ductile it'll it'll handle a few more cycles of fatigue but it rusts before that happens right so, right right um it shows its fatigue yeah you can look faster at than stainless, you can look right? at steel wire that's been galvanized and it's rusted halfway so you got about half your strength right maybe right, less right. stainless steel is it lies to you you cannot see that how much it's been through so it's very hard to tell and you can after a while of handling wire, you know, brand new wire coming off a spool, you can it feels kind of soft compared to very old wire that's been sitting on a boat for 20 years and you go to try and coil that wire and it's it's really stiff. Really? It really it gets a stiffness okay. to it. It gets more brittle. You can really feel that. Yeah. So, you know, that you look at those things, you look at the how malleable it is still and um and you look at the swedge fittings and how much rust do you surface rust and you know are those swedge fittings starting to split open? That's a very bad sign. Right, right. You know, well, and where where the wire where comes the wire in comes into the swedge fitting. I've I've always had that opening up just a little bit. Yeah. On like my forest day, but it's just a little, and I monitor it. Yeah. If it and started it, to grow a little, then I'd probably get concerned. And, and some swedge fittings are designed to try to have a, once it's swedged, there's a soft mouth where the wire comes out of the swedge fitting instead of a hard edge, oh, which would cause okay. a brittle, you know, really a, bit a, of a, a, more a of sharp an angle, point yeah. where it would, where the work hardening would happen sooner and you might see the strands starting to break right there at the top of the switch. Oh, okay, okay. And little things that like sense. that to look for. Um, you know, and you want to look at the quality of the swedge. Is it was when it was swedged, which means it's been pushed through some dyes that crush it down, mm-hmm. you know, like 140,000 PSI crushing that wire into the swedge. And, um, are there little ridges that run down it that might be cracking open? Look well, and that, rust. that kind of leads me into this. The other one is what are some of the warning signs? Like if you're, if you're just, you know, 
Mr. Sailor guy over here and you've got your boat and you don't even know how old the rigging is and you're looking at it, are there things that you would say are like just big flashing red lights that say, hey, buddy, it's about to go? Well, you're going to see strands cracking or swedges splitting open. So if one uh, if one little strand of that wire is going, that that's like a hey. You're way past way past the point it. of safety at that point. You know, I've seen plenty of small boats, yeah. and our boat at home has done this for a whole season yeah. where you're yeah. like, it's only one. Uh, no. <laughs> it's time. It's time. Replace it all because <laughs> all of it has been taken a well, pounding like that. So just yeah, small so boat, if, the smaller boats, like the 17-footers, you know, they take. Enormous abuse compared Enormous, to the bigger boats. Enormous, yeah. So just don't even mess around. Just replace it all because, you know, that thing could fall down on somebody important like your wife or... 100%. You know. <laughs> well, it just... And and if you, you, you factor in the cost of replacing your rigging as opposed to replacing your mast and fixing the deck and whatever right. if you lost the rig. Yeah, and, so. and, and we just, just here in this boatyard where we are now... Um, a boat owner had an unfortunate experience of ex- of finding out his chain plates were rotten. And, um, Is that what happened? The chain plates chain let plate go? Chain plate parted. Really? An upper chain plate shroud let go at a bolt down below deck. Uh-huh. Not at the deck, but down below deck. Yeah. On a bulkhead where it was attached. Um, it had rotted right through from lack of inspection. Yeah. And he lost the top of the mast and folded at the spreaders and folded right over. Um, and he was carrying insurance that it was a commercial insurance because he was doing charter. And they didn't cover his uh, any kind of failures. They were just like, <laughs> we're, we're not going to back you up. No coverage. Jeez. So he's, he's having to replace his mast out of pocket, which is a horrible situation. So you really want to look at your... Boat insurance, read the fine <laughs> yeah. print. That's a whole nother. Is this game replacement cost insurance? Yeah. Or, you know, if what you am I responsible for right. if the mask comes down? And and what would you cover? Yeah. So yeah. you really want to check that um, with Compare your insurance agent. Compare it to the agent. price if, of the new If you rigging. can speak to an agent yeah. and get the skinny on that, um, maybe if you're better informed, you can hedge your bets yeah bit, right you know? that, that <laughs> might be the little push in the right direction right. that you need right but okay. um yeah I, you know 10 to 15 years replace it 10 to 15 now, years on the bigger wire on the little boats it's 10 a little, years it's yeah yeah pretty well done that's usually a lot less expensive as well i mean compared yeah. to the cost yeah. if i'm if i'm doing a pearson ensign that's not going to be too expensive I'm trying to do west sale 32 that's a little more yeah so yeah but are there any other like when when you have the surface rust and stuff? Uh, you know, normally I just polish that away. Yeah, beauty of stainless is it it requires oxygen to set up its chemical protection and stay shiny. Mm-hmm. Um, when it stays wet all the time, there's a lack of oxygen, and acids can develop on the surface that eat at it and corrode it. Yeah. So. Um, you know, rigging wire for a long time now has been with what's called 316 grade stainless, which is it's more anti-corrosive than 302, 304 stainless steel. 302, 304 is stronger, 
mm-hmm. but it doesn't last <laughs> as it well as the 316. Yeah, yeah. 316 is softer, but it stands up to the elements better. Mm-hmm. But you, it's like you wouldn't put any stainless steel fasteners or um, below waterline. Mm-hmm. No. Because they'll corrode. Yeah. And they might look fine for a couple of months, and then all of a sudden they're gone. <laughs> yeah, just Whereas Monel stainless, which is very anti-corrosive, it's softer, more malleable, higher ductility. It it uh, will last very expensive, yeah. and it will last almost as long as um, silicon bronze. So silicon oh, really? bronze below waterline or Monel stainless above waterline, three one six stainless. Well, and and on deck. If if it uh, <clears throat> has the ability to breathe, so it's not under the water all the time, it comes up for air. Because I, I remember asking Bill about that because we extended the tangs, the mm-hmm. anchor points mm-hmm. for some yeah. of the stuff really close to the water line. And I was like, man, should I put like a zinc on that? <laughs> no. And he said, no, no, no. no. As I long as it okay. comes up to breathe and yeah. it's not completely submerged all the time, correct? you're good to go. He's right. And but, we bedded those really, really well. And also, you should be bonding your um, your boat should have a grounding bond system, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. You know, so, like all your chain plates are bonded. Your your keel is bonded to the chain plates and the mast, and and even your whisker um, tags all those, and all those, those things are, yeah. should be bonded electrically to the keel. Um, to prevent any kind of a electrolysis, XL. I believe is what and, it's called. Yeah, and and another thing that people don't think about is on these boats. Now we're putting so much more electronics in. We've got inverters. We've got electrical stuff running all the time. And you're sitting on a dock with eighty other boats. Yeah, we're that creating all a big that. battery, and so. In recent past, I've been starting to see more and more boats with weird, bizarre electrical currents running through them. And you can take, you could clip one end of your ammeter or your your ohm meter to the rigging, a shroud, and put the other, the negative, into the ocean, and you might see a current. Really? Yeah, and that would create a an electrolysis problem somewhere yeah. in your rigging. Oh. It, you might see it first by noticing, wow, this is really bizarre. My mast paint is starting to bubble. Um, I'm seeing rust on my shrouds. Weird, weird stuff happening. Mm, and it, I'm seeing it can get, both of those things. It can get buzz- Yeah, well. But <laughs> I've. Uh, how old yeah. is the boat? Seventy-five. <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess. Okay. So. All right. Um, yeah. So we're over 40 here. <laughs> well, and one of the things that happens uh, on these long voyages is that because you cannot wash the boat down with right. fresh water, right. sometimes I literally go months yeah. covered in salt. Yeah. Well, and you, you can take a little Never doll with you and walk around and clean things up. And Oh, I don't who, go out there to work, pal. Who's going to carry Never doll? <laughs> On an ocean voyage. Okay, okay. We've got to fire through yeah, some, of these, some of these. Yeah, let's get some of this. I know we, your we time digress, is precious. We digress. Yes. Let's go. <clears throat> uh, rod versus wire. Pros and cons. Real quick. Rod is obviously um, superior to uh, stranded wire. How dare you? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it does have its Achilles heels. 
And the, the points where it becomes inferior is at the fastenings, at the mechanical fastenings. So they, there's a process of called, um, where you head the rod and it takes a die that makes a sort of, it mushrooms the end of the wire, of the yeah, rod. It looks like the, the head of a uh, nail. Yeah, kind of like a head of a nail with some soft profile to it. And if there are any um, striations or horizontal cracks in that, it will break there. Mm-hmm. If there are any cuts across the rod, it can break at those points. Um, you have to polish the rod to prevent that. Ah. And um, it, when the die when the dies crush the the heads on, you have to examine them very carefully with a magnifying glass in bright sunlight and look at them, make sure that there's no weird structural failure in there. Yeah. Um, but rod can go years and years 20 25 years as oh, long really? as it's maintained yeah and also very important with rod is you have to inspect it annually and grease the ends look at the heads where they they go into the turnbuckles and into the tangs at the top and and fittings marine eyes whatnot um to make sure that there's no cracking going on anywhere yeah well i can remember bob I think he was telling me that uh, if there's an area that's a little suspect, uh, you can take super high grit sandpaper to see if you can find any hairline fractures. Yep. Stuff yeah. Like so yeah. You could you could take um, red, the the maroon colored uh, Scotch Brite pads, and oh, you can yeah, scour yeah, yeah. with that, and then try and polish it by hand. Right. And then look at it with you know in sunlight with a magnifying glass if you if that's the most easily uh, obtained, but you can also get dye penetrant kits from various companies. Supply that, and it's it's a, a oh, red you dye like that wipe you, it on you like, wipe it on, and you, and then you put this spray on this fine developer. They call it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like an acetone with white powdery stuff in it, and it dries up, and then the red cracks will show right up. Oh, okay. You okay. can see that. And that's sometimes it's called Magnaflux or different things there's a lot of different terms for it but it's dye penetrant kit yeah and that's the best way to inspect it you know to absolutely rule out any so cracks. there's a lot a lot more constant monitoring of rod compared to wire yeah because rod goes through a hell of a, you know it's it's you're going to decrease the diameter but you're increasing the strength because oh, it's one it, so strand. you are getting a little less weight aloft and weight, all that. Yeah, weight is reduced aloft, but it does have trade-offs. So the it's it's monitoring the head where the rod has been crushed is the crucial piece. Mm, um, but okay. rod rod can go indefinitely. So you indefinitely. Know, indefinitely, if you maintain a hundred years. I don't know about that, but you know there there are. There are big, big well, super yachts said out there indefinitely. that have gone hundreds <laughs> of thousands of miles with the same suit of rod rigging. Really? And some that have only gone 10,000 miles and the rod exploded. Right, you know, it's right, just, right. It's maintenance. Okay. It's maintenance. Gotcha. Um, whereas, you know, the 1 by 19 wire is a little more of a black art and watching it. And yeah, I mean, it. it gives you yep. those little telltale signs. Yep. You can sort of... And, and Age. rather than just breaking and then that's it yeah like i said you might get one or two little little pieces that break and then you're like okay yeah replace it and it's less expensive Mm -hmm. 
and yeah, the one by nineteen wire is less expensive. Well, and you but, can do it yourself too. Like I, you know, a lot of these yeah. fittings I've yeah. screwed on myself, and yeah, rod rigging requires you know a guy with a special machine to smash it on there and and take care of it. It's, right, it's a like yeah. the uh, it's a bit blacksmith more... sort of uh, <laughs> sect of riggers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's yeah. too funny. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, do, 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 do. Self-climbers. A little bit of a different. I've seen you use them. Um, obviously, I have stairs on Sparrow, so I can get up and down that mast without any sort of impingements yeah. or infringements. Rigging, um, rigging aloft. Yeah, it, it there is uh, a trade-off in safety yeah. in what you're using. Um, steps are great if the rivets or fasteners that are holding into the mast are secure. Pretty sure included. they are. Pretty sure. Yeah, if you're not wobbling <laughs> away. But you need to have some kind of a safety. Right? Yeah. So what are you going to back yourself up with? You know, a halyard, a static line halyard with a Prusik's loop attached to a, a climbing Larry, harness. I don't, I don't need a safety brief here. Guy. Okay. All, all, right, right, all right. I'm right. looking for what what do you use? What do I use? For I, a I use something that's really dangerous, and I don't think anybody should. use Oh really? But... Okay. Don't, well, then you don't have <laughs> yeah. to recommend it. Have you um, have you used any of the 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 ones that are on the market? Um. Like the ones that sort Both of shim of, up a little bit. Yeah, there's there's like the the ATN ascender. Uh, that's one. There's some kind of a, a a system. I don't remember what it's called. Mass stairs or something like that. It it goes up the mainsail track and it's yeah. a bunch of nylon webbing. Now you're relying on somebody stitching. Um, Sailmakers always, are... always, always take a halyard with you. Be tied in. Back yourself up somehow. Um, have a second person there. Yeah. If you can. And, but I mean somebody it, it somebody on deck. Don't do purpose, this in the but... boatyard alone. Don't don't do it out at sea alone. Have somebody there. Yeah. <laughs> we I, I miss I That's always you. you have to go aloft out I at sea. I always turn to say, you know, do yeah. as I say, not as I do on right. some of these subjects. There but there's a situation. So try to give yourself some options. If you get into trouble, you can get out of trouble. Yeah. So there's not like one specific self climbing thing you would recommend i no, guess no i mean i uh, cover Bose's your chairs right now in the market the harkin chair is probably the cadillac of them all the safe safest one to use yeah um, I got west marine lincoln in the back yeah, yeah it's not bad though it's no. comfy it's very close to the one that uh oh and by the way however there was a recall on that <laughs> on the on the west marine one uh, show me the west marine one you got there was a recall um yeah you see all kinds you see all kinds um yeah i use a chair with a a a four-part fall with a ratchet block on it is that Um, something you made up yourself yeah i just make it up with harken bits and whatnot um and i can generally get to the top of a 50-foot mast without i've seen you at all yeah uh yeah i just haul myself up um and that's a good self-tending rig but i don't use it when nobody's around because the tail of my line can get stuck on a dorade or a cleat or something and then i can't get down <laughs> like i'm stuck i spent the whole weekend at night marine <laughs> there you go <laughs> so uh, yeah 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 well i i only ask because i i always always in every marine i'm in i run into people other solo sailors or whatever that are outfitting their boats and they all have self climbers yeah and they finally use it 
and all, you know, there's lots of people around. We always offer, you know, I'll run you up there. No, 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 I gotta try this thing out. I'm, I'm pretty sure this one's gonna be awesome. The I I hear the exact same story when they get down uh, from every single one of them, and it's like, it's like between breaths. <sighs> <laughs> That got really scary. And there's usually one incident where something has either jerked a little bit and released a little bit or whatever, but it scared them enough where they're sort of like, geez, these, I didn't. And, and usually the, the following comment is, I don't know how I would do that out at sea with the waves. Yeah. Because they're yeah. doing it in a flat, yeah. dead calm and, and, marina. And, you know, you see the professionals using um, like a Petzl rock climbing harness. Yeah, yeah. Sit harness and um, maybe some Jumar ascenders. And, you know, they're using all kinds of things. Um, uh, yeah, you could check in with the rock climbing community and see what's the very latest, greatest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the only problem I see with the sit harness is, is it cuts off circulation of the legs eventually. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't want to be up there for Not, a while. N- you no know, for way. a quick trip, that's the way to go. A helmet and, and I want, that. I want sit padding. You yeah. Know. Yeah. But the, the old bosun's chair is great for when you have to be up there for two, three hours working on a shift box at the top of the <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, and, and side note, I, I do want to uh, thank you uh, for... Basically telling my boss that uh, they are not allowed to to throw me up in the air on that I don't know thirty year old piece of canvas with the board in it. Holy um, smokes, man! That was that, I just I was, uh, it terrified me. That was a hunk of junk. And when I I don't have it, I threw it away because I was like, I want to make sure that doesn't end up in somebody's hands. But uh, yeah, no, that yeah, it was up. a real piece That's of crap. Trash, yeah. I mean, stitches. Oh, missing. It, it was probably fine when it was brand new. Oh but, yeah, yeah. But yeah. after five years, so uncomfortable. I mean, and just one little strap that went yeah. around that we never even did up. But the Harkin one that uh, shout out to Harkin. Yeah. I've gone up and down, and there was one incident where uh, I was stuck aloft um, because the machinery wasn't working for about two minutes. And it was just nice to know that uh, I had a nice new bosun's <laughs> chair while I was hanging midair, far away from the boat. I, that was the, the the whole time that was happening. I was like, "Don't panic, just don't panic, don't let the adrenaline go, because then you might pass out and yeah. then you might fall." Yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I I just want to side note that. Um, all right. Um, do 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 do. we did that. Oh, okay. And this would this would be a good sort of uh, wrap up for the questions, I guess. And I, I'm sure I'm I'm sure I'm going to get emails about this podcast with tons of questions. So we may end up having to do another one of these, whether whether it's before I leave or <laughs> next time I come back up. When are you leaving? Uh, I'm it, not trying to be mean. No, well, it, it was <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, what day are you going again? Yeah, so Let's when see. are you leaving? I'm yeah. hoping. Uh, I've been just. I keep pushing it back because I part of me really just wants to stay until we pull the last boat, use that last jack stand, and I'm sort of like, yeah. we did it. We did the whole season. Well, we're looking at some tropical systems right now. It's too. a little, yeah. I was looking at the offshore weather, and, and uh, Chris was saying, he's like, wow, Gulf of Maine's going to be fine. I was like, Chris, I'm not, Gulf of Maine's like the start line. 
I was like, I got to keep going east out there. Um, but it does look like there may be a window. It's really far out, but there may be a window by about Thursday of next week. Um, but if if it's looking at all like shifty or whatever, and we still have a little bit of work to do, if I can work the whole next week, part-time even, and work on the boat, get a few more things dialed in, I'll push it back another week. I don't mind leaving this late. Um, but I do realize that the the gateway narrows and you can get locked up here where yeah. you just yeah. get gale after gale rolling off. No, I've seen people leave in Thanksgiving. Yeah. It, it, Chipping snow off the deck. But, oh, yeah. But that's, that's not that, for really. you. That's yeah, not for you. You don't want to no. be, you know, see you in that little speedo in a down parka <laughs> trying to leave the dock. I think ideal ideal conditions, uh, I'll be able to launch the boat and maybe leave on Thursday or Friday. Um, I don't really right. have much of a superstition about that. One of the things, though, is I, I would like to get the fuel polished and the fuel tanks cleaned but i'm having a little trouble getting hold of uh, absolutely crucial so yeah well because every time i do a, a fuel filter change um it looks like coffee grounds on top so i've i've got tons of debris and if bacteria you, and algae and you all got that. biocides going in the tanks and oh yeah yeah, yeah. You know, i've always done that but yeah. there's been you know yeah i'm I'm probably still using quite a bit of fuel that I took to go around the Northwest Passage. You need to polish it and biocide the hell out of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I fuel still burn. It just will yeah. clog. I was going to just drain it all out. Um, and I, I... Part of me might do that if I can't get um, it sorted out before I leave. But I don't know. We, we had talked about it before. There's a local guy who does it here mm-hmm. and... Uh, I just haven't been able to get a hold of him the last Chris, two days. So. Chris, uh, don't say his last name because I've been. I don't want to. Main fuel polishing, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 He, he's very like good. That. He's very good. Yeah. Oh no, we we chatted. He was going to give me a deal and everything like that. So yeah. Um. So here, last question. Um, book recommendation, tuning guides, rigging guides, any of that sort of stuff. Um. um is there any there, that, that you I might don't know say? if it still exists, but Hall Spars had a very good rig tuning guide mm. on their website when they existed. Hall Spars went out of business about six, seven years ago, something like that. Oh, and okay. um, they were they were really one of the premier outfits. You see more Hall Spars in boats around New England than anything else. And they were they were spread out all over the world. Uh, and they got really big. They were building carbon rigs for everything. Mm-hmm. And um, they had one of the best tuning guides I think I've seen. Okay. Um, but yeah, books on tuning, not, not a whole lot. They're huh? not a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. There was one book I read that was very helpful um, called Understanding Rigs and Rigging. I think that was the title. It was an older book, but it was very good because it talked, discussed a lot about like offshore sailing and taking care of events should you need to. And, oh, and, okay. And yeah, how rigs are built and, and tangs and engineering and how things are made. Um, that was a very helpful book. Yeah. Um, well, and most people... Yeah. Uh... And it, it came at it from, you know... Naval architect's point of view, and uh, easy to understand. And, and, yeah, it talks about boats from the '60s to the to the mid '80s, oh, okay. roughly, which is pretty current. 
you know, it doesn't talk about rod rigging and all that new stuff now, but right. and carbon rigs, Dyneema, which is a whole new discussion. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. well and, and most boats, specific types of boats will have rig tuning guides, you know, online that you can just look up. Yeah. Like the Saber Owners Association or whatever, you know, the, those guys, the J24, yeah. you can go yeah. on there. Well, yeah. those you can get the absolute specific. Yeah. How much tension needs to be on there, and then you just get one of the little tension gauge right. things. Don't believe everything you read online. Well, that's true too. That's <laughs> yeah. true too. Though I looked for one with the West Hill, I never found it. I'm not, I'm not really great at, at researching on there, no. but uh, the the actual West Sail manual that yeah. comes with these boats gives pretty. Uh, I don't want to say lackadaisical, but they're sort of like, well, you know, you want this one tight. Yeah, and the staysail should be kind of loose. Your lowers should be the tightest, really, of anything. I I typically, when I when I go in the water next week or whatever, I'll either sit on the dock or I'll go out to a mooring and then I'll tune the rig. Yeah. And but I won't really fine tune it until I'm actually under sail. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and then you know you'll want to be in a stiff breeze, twenty knots of wind, reefed maybe one reef. And you're going to sight the the track on the mm-hmm. mainsail, and you're going to make sure that the mast is all in column yeah, with a slight camber aft. And she should be able to stand up to any wind without the top falling off to leeward. And how about the leeward rigging? It shouldn't really be going well, slack. Well, you're not really paying attention to that as much as you are watching the column of the mast. Okay. Making sure all the panels from the deck to the first set of spreaders, the second spreader, the first spreaders to the second set of spreaders, and all, so on and so forth, up to the top of the mast. Yeah. That sail track should be dead nut straight. Dead straight. Um, keeping that in column is the most important thing. You know, you, oh, my lured shrouds are too loose, so you go and you tighten them up, and then you flip over on the other tack, and now things are a little weird, and oh, my lured shrouds are loose again, and you tighten those up, and pretty soon what you've done is you've you've driven the mast down through the bottom of the boat. You know, you, right, you're right, compressing right. everything, and you're squeezing the sides of the hull up, so you have to be very careful with that kind of thinking. Hmm, interesting. Well, because I I sort of. Always wanted to stay away from any sort yeah. of shock load that might come from yeah. being in gusty, wavy no, conditions where... Too loose is going to cause gravity yeah. storm, and too tight is going to cause problems, too. Right, right. So um, if, you go to, if you go to the, take the manufacturers <laughs> of the wire, they'll tell you, you know, Loose and Company is a big company, and they build a lot of wire for a lot of people. Mm. And they tell you, take 10% of the stretch out of the wire. And they have they sell a gauge. Harkin sells a gauge, I think, and and Luce and Company sells a gauge. And you can use a tension gauge to give you a rough idea where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is the column of the mast has to be correct. You cannot let that get into a weird S bend or yeah, strange yeah. things going on. So that's the very most important thing to you. Hmm. And if your boat is so soft that lured shrouds are going slack, yeah, you got yeah. other issues going on there, buddy. Maybe take a look at your mast step because <laughs> things might uh, be moving around. A yeah, little bit. start checking all around the boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, uh, Larique, I I can't thank you enough. This is this is just 
what I've always wanted this podcast to be. You know, sort of the back and forth, and you know, oh, I. Even better that's over a bottle of Kraken, which is great. <laughs> that's dangerous, though. You know, you get too many of those, and all of a sudden you sort of lose your lose yeah, your way. A lot, but... of, a lot of love in that bottle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's so nice to sit down uh, and and actually get this, and it, it's pretty enjoyable, right? It's yeah, not a big yeah, deal. This is great. This Most is people great. very nervous. They get in here, they're like, "What? The God, shit? there's no video." Yeah. Well, that would have killed it. And and <laughs> it's up to you whether or not uh, you want complete anonymity as far as uh, I typically with most people because the internet it's a weird thing you know yeah. Uh, yeah I would hate for anybody to come up and be like oh I looked him up and blah blah, blah. so I can just use your first name or we can uh, if you want to you know How, however maybe you want to go drum drum it's... up more business oh no it's I'm up not to looking you. for more work there's too oh, much okay there's we'll, too we'll much. just keep it at Lorique but unfortunately yeah. your name is so so unique that uh, yeah. I think anybody would be able to track you down up yeah, here yeah I once heard you know that that guy Lorique he's a good rigger but he's weird <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> what they don't realize is I have a reputation to maintain yeah right <laughs> hey force day you yeah. made for me got me around um, this planet so well proof's in the pudding let's, let's make sure all your stuff's up to snuff before you go yeah well my mask is cocked over this way i'll tell you that much already it's so and, weird and we'll we will go through the rig tin before you go the 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 dry you know dock yeah tin. yeah the dock and one. then you'll do the sail tin yeah, I don't take, know where. Take that turnbuckle up a quarter inch. Oh, That's God, what all the sailmakers say. You can't yeah, do that. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Quarter turn, quarter turn. You can't do a quarter turn on a turnbuckle. But, Jerome, this has been a real pleasure. It's, the boat is just beautiful. She's gorgeous. Wow, thank you. He has, he has made this into, like, the mecca. It's my little home. It's my little home. You got it. You got to have. Uh, you got to have yeah. it. It's nice. I, I, you know, this painting was made uh, by a friend of mine that. I met down in South Carolina, and he yeah. just enjoyed. He liked the boat and stuff. And I got back one year, and yeah. he was like, "Hey, um, check us this out." Is, this is an amazing story, and it and it keeps going, and it keeps getting better. And well, you're I'm, part of I'm it. I'm really enjoying it. It's really fun. Yeah, well, I I can't thank you enough for for the wisdom over the years and the friendship and everything. Uh, which is why when you pulled in here yesterday, amidst the chaos with a mask, and Jim wanted to just push you back. I was like, nah, let's go deal with whatever Larique needs. <laughs> but then I also hit you up with the podcast again. So uh, Jim, Jim's great. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's come. I mean, I he obviously he worked here long time ago when he was younger. Yeah, and yeah. He's got a huge history here and stuff. But when when he was first here and I was here just a few years ago, um, you know, I'd say just from. From then till now, he's having a heck of a lot more fun at work, and he shows it, and it makes it yeah, he's, he's way organized, more enjoyable. He's, he's yeah. really gung ho. You know, he doesn't turn anybody down. He's great. I I've been pushing customer service on these guys <laughs> till my face is red, and uh, eventually it rubs off. Yeah, know? yeah. Well, this but. is one of the last boatyards in New England that. We'll let you do what you need to do know. to get it's, things done. It's it's a fantastic asset. It is. We're and lucky it's here in Rockland. I know, and I love. It's been it's been my summer home, you know, for yeah. for a long time, and I do what I can to help it out, and yeah. it's been a blast. So, all right, Larique, right. I'll you. let you go. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you, Jerome.